All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. The title this evening is Enduring Injustice. Enduring Injustice. The last time we were together, we witnessed Joseph's victory over temptation. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, uh, he, he ran out. He just said, there's no way that, that I can do such a thing. Now we're going to see, though, the price that Joseph pays for being a holy man, for standing for righteousness. What happens to Joseph now, as we begin this study this night, was, is a terrible injustice. Joseph was made a terrible disgrace by a vicious slander by, we'll call her Mrs. Potiphar. His righteousness wasn't valued. It didn't pay off to do good, to be good. And we've all heard this, the expression, good guys finish last. Instead of being admired for his integrity, he was put down. And he was slandered. And he went from the overseer of Potiphar's house to a dungeon. The terrible wrong that Joseph experienced was the result of his uprightness and him not giving in to his carnal desires. And carnality only cares about the here and the now. It only cares about self. Carnality doesn't think much about tomorrow. And a lot of people can attest to that, especially when we're young. We do things, you know, because... At the moment, it's the thing to do. It's what everybody else is doing. It's what all my friends are doing. But we don't think how it might affect us down the road long term. So we don't think about how it will affect the future and the future of others that might you know, be in our life. Carnality trades the valuable and lasting comforts of the future for the cheap and short-lived comforts of the here and now. This, kind of, this does remind us of, of Esau and Jacob. Esau was the carnal man. He gave up his birthright for a, a, a bowl of stew to his brother Jacob, who was the spiritual one. Jacob saw the spiritual value of things, the value of spiritual things. Believers should seek things of spiritual value and avoid the desires of the flesh. The wrong that Joseph experienced is a common thing. It wasn't the first time that Joseph suffered because of injustice. Remember, it started with his brothers. And it would go on for many years to come. And by the time Joseph was 30 years old and in a high position in the Egyptian government, he learned a lot about injustice through his own personal experiences. Injustice isn't unusual for those who live righteously. And Paul said to young Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not a maybe. And notice Paul didn't say some will suffer persecution. All. All. Scripture gives us many examples of how common it is. Remember, Abel was murdered by his brother Cain because of Abel's righteousness. Laban dealt treacherously with Jacob. The Egyptians mistreated the Israelites. Saul was treacherous to David. Naboth was slandered by Jezebel. The prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Amos, and others, they were accused by people and governments of lying and having evil motives. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Stephen was stoned by the religious mob. Paul was persecuted in one city after another. 
But nobody experienced injustice more than Jesus Christ did. Jesus was literally born in a barn. He was exiled to Egypt. He was hated in his hometown. He was rejected by his relatives. He was called a drunk and a glutton. He was said to be demon-possessed. And then he was condemned to die in the courts. Condemned to die because of the courts. And he was crucified like a common criminal. And it goes on today. But the believer must not be discouraged by this. Joseph's life shows us that injustice is a common experience of the godly. But it's not the end of the godly. Because one day, God is going to see to it that circumstances will reveal your character and condemn the the depravity. So when you experience injustice, don't be surprised by it. Again, it's one of those promises in the Bible that I doubt that we underline or highlight. Don't be surprised by it. Don't get bitter by it. Don't let it keep you from serving the Lord. Joseph's slanderous and unfair treatment by Potiphar's wife, it really hurt. And it resulted in Joseph losing some very important things in life. He lost his reputation. He lost his job. He lost the the common comforts of home or of life. He was paying a high price for his holiness, for his integrity. But it's worth it. Purity is always worth the price of suffering. But not many are willing to pay the price, the high price of righteousness. David was another one who lost much. David lost a job. He lost his wife. He lost his mentor, Samuel. He lost his best friend, Jonathan. And in the end, he he lost his self-respect when he was, remember, dribbling spit down his beard, acting like an insane man at the gate of King Achish. But impurity costs more than purity. And the problem is that men don't often think about the price of unrighteousness, but only the price of holiness. Like when you become a Christian, people think, oh man, you know, you're going to have to, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, you have to live this holy life. And, and you know, and they just think it's, that's a, a, a high price to pay. They only think, again, of, of you know, the price of, of, of living a holy life. Joseph paid big time for his life of purity. But he would have paid a, a higher price if he hadn't been morally faithful. So let's begin in looking at the things that Joseph lost because he was a man of integrity, a man of character and, and holiness. Jo- Joseph lost his reputation. No matter how upright a person is, when you, are, when you have a, uh, an evil accusation made against you, a lie brought against you, you know, it will hurt your reputation. It will hurt your reputation. Joseph Parker said this, There is a tendency to believe charges against men without patiently and carefully going into particulars, without making such moral inquest into them. We are prone to say when an accusation is lodged against a man, after all, there must be something to it. And I've heard that many times. Well, you know, for people to say that, there must be something true about it. And we start to think that it's impossible to make a charge against a person without that charge having at least some truth to it. Joseph's job performance in Potiphar's house had raised him considerably in a position that would greatly enhance his reputation. 
among everybody that knew him. You see, his holy character wouldn't be seen. But once the charge was made against him, his reputation wasn't his character. Joseph had trouble in his life with his reputation, but he never had trouble with his character. See, people can talk about you all you want, but your life will tell the truth. While Joseph couldn't keep his reputation from being dirtied, he was able to keep his character spotless. We can't control our reputation, but we can control our character. Evil people might cruelly destroy our reputation, but we can keep them from destroying our character. All by the way we live. And character is so much more important than reputation. So we mustn't make the mistake of being more concerned about our reputation than our character. We need to take care of our character and let God take care of our reputation. Because it's character that really matters to God. And it should really matter to us as well. We can't have God's approval without character. But we can have God's approval without reputation. Joseph also lost his job. Joseph had a very good job, even though he was a slave. But his position of overseer of the whole house was a lot better than most positions that other slaves would hold. But the wicked, slanderous tongue of Potiphar's wife put Joseph in prison, causing the loss of his job and all the future good prospects that went along with that job. Joseph lost his job because of his character, because of his purity, which was more important to him than his job. And sometimes you have to choose between Jesus and the job. Hopefully, you'll choose Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. He said, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Trust in the Lord when people create problems. You know, if we're misunderstood, if we're misrepresented, you know what? God will clear us in time. In spite of the delays and the difficulties and the rejection that we encounter in life, trust in the Lord. And in spite of what we're feeling and the evidence to the contrary, even when we can't understand our way or our situation, we may still trust in the Lord because He will bring it to pass. He will open the doors for, to, to people, for people to see the truth. The way will be open. Our situation will be changed and the end result will be peace. Joseph not only lost his reputation or, and his job, he also lost his comforts. Because of this injustice in his life, it took away a lot of the freedoms that he had. It took away pleasures and it took away other comforts uh, of life. And, and, it, and it, his life became a discomfort. For starters, verse 20 says he was put in prison. Prison. Now, prisons then were not like, a, 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 were not like many prison, prisons are today with you know, many privileges and, and comforts. 
Some of the discomfort of Joseph's prison experience is mentioned in Psalm 105, verses 17 through 18. Listen to what it says there. It says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters and he was laid in irons. Joseph was in fetters. He was in irons and it hurt his feet. Not many in the church today show this kind of uh, steadfast spirit that Joseph had. You know, many, many sing on Sunday morning, but you don't see them the rest of the week. The southern preacher Vance Havner said this, that if, we were to be, that if we were to believe what was sung on Sunday morning, we would think half of the congregation died before Sunday evening. Today, the slightest inconvenience or discomfort smothers many Christians' devotion and their devotion to the Lord. And we seem to forget that purity does not purity doesn't guarantee that we're going to have an easy go of life. It doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, we're going to have a lot of pleasure in this life. That was that's never promised to us in the scriptures. In Acts 9, 15 and 16, the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, the Lord said to Ananias, Go for the go, go uh, for Paul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings. And the children of Israel, he says, For I will show him, notice, many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He didn't save Paul and then tell Paul, Hey, it's going to be a wonderful life, Paul. He told Ananias to go, get Paul, because I'm going to show him how many things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. But purity does guarantee great reward in eternity, and that's what really counts. Injustice is definitely cruel and Joseph lost a lot, but he didn't lose everything. God has a way of compensating the godly for anything and any loss suffered in in his service. Before the story of Joseph is over, we will see God reimbursing his, you know, for lack of better words, uh, reimbursing Joseph for what he lost. Joseph will be given a new job. He will have an excellent reputation. He will receive a new coat, which will more than make up for any loss Joseph experienced because of injustice. Now, the Bible says that God is not a debtor to any man. In other words, God doesn't owe us anything, but any loss in honoring him will be duly rewarded. We saw that in Job chapter 1. And we read in Job chapter 1 that Job had seven sons and three daughters. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, which, you know, there was two to a yoke, so that was 2,000 oxen. Uh, 500 yoke, it just doubled that, in other words. 500 female donkeys and a very large household. So it says the man, he was the greatest of all people of the East. Then came that dreadful day when he lost everything. His family, his possessions, because of his integrity. Satan challenged God. He said, the only reason that Job is serving you and he's so, he's, he's so faithful to you is because look at all that you've given him. And so Satan, God said, Satan, you know what? Lay your hand on him. Do whatever you want, but you can't take his life. And Satan took everything except his wife. But when his adversity was over, Chapter 42 says, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. He doubled 
everything that, that Joseph had lost originally. The cause of all of Joseph's injustices was Potiphar's wife. In verse 13, remember it says that she saw that he had left his garment in her hand. She saw that he had left his garment in her hand. In other words, she's saying now, man, I have his coat in my hand. And she realized, you know what? I have everything I need to make him pay for rejecting me. And right away, her mind goes to work. She started to cover up her devious behavior. She says, I'm Potiphar's wife. Everybody's going to believe me. I have Joseph's coat in my hand to prove what I'm going to say. So she started her attack by calling the servants of the house. Look at verses uh, uh, 13 through 15 of chapter 39. Verse, beginning with verse 13. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called, notice, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us, and he came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice, and he cried out that he left his garment with me, and he fled, and he went outside. So, again, I'm Potiphar's wife. I have the, I have the evidence in my hand. And she'll see tar- she calls in the servants of the house. And then after her husband gets home, she starts to lie all over again. Notice in verses 16 through 18. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you, speaking to her husband, whom you brought to us, came in to me to mock me. So what happened is I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. So Mrs. Potiphar, the cause of Joseph's injustice, was a woman of immoral character. And and like many people like her, her mouth quickly proved her lack of character. As James says, her tongue was full of evil, set on fire by hell. And she used it very well, trying to pull off this wicked wrongdoing after her plan to seduce him failed. And when Mrs. Potiphar started her line and her deceiving story about how things went down with her and Joseph, right away she showed a lot of scorn for her husband. She showed her contempt for her husband in three ways in her lies about Joseph. She showed scorn for her husband when she wouldn't call him by his name. Look at verse 14 again that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he, speaking of her husband, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me with, uh, again, Joseph came in to me and I cried out with a loud voice. She called to the men, that is, she called to the servants of the house and she said to them, He, referring to her husband, has brought in this Hebrew to mock us. Matthew Poole says, She would not name her husband because of a disdain and high pleasure for his being the occasion of this horrid affront. The pronouns he and they are often used by way of contempt. She also showed her scorn for her husband in the unsubstantial accusation. It wasn't really founded on anything. She made this this accusation about him in front of his servants and in doing so she weakened their respect for Joseph. 
And then she showed her contempt for her husband by blaming him for the problem right to his face when he came home. Verse 17, look what it says. The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. It's your fault, she's saying to her, that all of this happened. Even if we hadn't known about her uh, immoral behavior, you know, Mrs. Potiphar's uh, this scorn for her husband that she shows it would make it very plain that she didn't love her husband and she wasn't true to him. And may this be a lesson to those who are married, that those who talk about their spouse's faults and criticize them to whoever's around to listen, there's some serious marriage problems going on in that marriage and that the criticizer is much to blame for the problems and has loyalty problems as well. Mrs. Potiphar's instance with Joseph it probably wasn't the first time that she did that. There were probably other guys that she had may gotten her way with. And as our story goes on, it will show that Potiphar wasn't ignorant about her ways. And all of this exhorts husbands and wives to be diligent in their devotion to each other and to be very careful how they speak to each other and about each other. A good marriage like a healthy person won't stay that way unless it's faithfully maintained by the, by the proper nourishment. And poisonous tongues are deadly to the health of a marriage. Someone said the proper use of a married couple's lips is to press them together in silence when it comes to each other's faults and in stimulation of each other's felicity. In other words, the lips should be pressed shut to stop criticism, but pressed against their lover's lips to inspire love. What Mrs. Potiphar said about Joseph was a straight-out lie. There was not one bit of truth to it. Nothing could have been further from the truth than what she said about Joseph. She made Joseph look like a low life, just like a, lust, a lustful creature, stooping to the worst of behaviors. She accused him of being an attacker and not the attack. It was the worst of lies and it was a vicious verbal attack that she made about a great man, a good man. Now what caused her to do this? Revenge. She viciously wanted revenge on Joseph for rejecting her sexual proposals. And Joseph paid a high price for rejecting her sexual advances. What Mrs. Potiphar did was cruel. But it, only, uh, but it only hurt his reputation, not his character. Slander seems to, de to, to do more harm than seduction. But it's seduc seduction that gives the greatest victory to the enemy. Slander only hurts the reputation, but seduction hurts the character. So here's what we learn from this. The false charges about Joseph is a big warning to all Christians. We have to be careful about believing the accusations made by the ungodly about the godly. Joseph Parker said, Let us keep steadily in mind the fact that there are false accusations in human life. And that's why we need to check out the sources of the accusations made against good people. You know, because people want to say mean things to get even with people. I, I've had calls from people in, from the church and have made accusations about people in the church. 
And, and I have to deal with those accusations if they're true, but I also have to protect the people from those accusations. I cannot just say, oh, wow, really? And well, I'm going to call them in. I'm going to do this. I'll say, tell me who it was. Well, I don't want to get involved. You're already involved. I don't want to get involved. What did they do? When did they do it? Who was it they did it to? Well, I don't want to get involved. Then I'm not going to pull somebody out, out to talk to them when you haven't told me a single thing that, that, that they've done. You know, they want me to, to call them to the carpet, I guess, and just, you know, hey, you got to go or, do, or you know, bring discipline upon them when they haven't you know, you know, divulged any information. Again, there needs to be something that's foundational that gives me a reason to do this. Names, times, dates, witnesses. Otherwise, I let it go. I just let it go. Because of the damage you can do to somebody. And so again, we need to check out the source of the accusations that are made against people. We can't trust the mouth of of people in general, corrupt people especially, to speak truth. Potiphar's reaction to his wife's story about Joseph shows that he didn't believe what his wife said about Joseph. According to an ancient historian from the pulpit commentary, he said the laws of the Egyptians were pretty severe in their penalties for offenses against women. Now, if what Joseph had done, what he was accused of doing... Mr. Potiphar would have thrown the book at the man. But he gives him a decent job. Though it was in prison, he gave him a decent job. You see, a person guilty of what Joseph was accused of could expect punishment, even death, in those days, especially because he was a slave. Slaves had no rights whatsoever, and the master could do whatever he wanted with them. So Potiphar didn't believe what his wife said, because Joseph was not sent to the executioner's block. Instead, he was sent to prison, which is almost like an acquittal. Look at what verse 19 says. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that, notice, his anger was aroused. But notice it doesn't say that it was aroused at Joseph. He was angry. Potter would have a lot, Potiphar would have a lot to be angry about, uh, but not at Joseph. You see, Mrs. Potiphar's accusation had turned the whole household upside down. Potiphar was about to lose a good overseer. Because of the things that Potiphar saw in Joseph, he had put Joseph in charge of everything in his house. And to be put in prison for the crime that he was accused of, this was a rather light penalty. So it shows that Potiphar wasn't angry at Joseph, nor did he believe his wife's story. The proof that Potiphar didn't believe his wife's story and accusation against Joseph is seen in the position that he gave Joseph after Joseph had spent time in prison. Now, this was not a common jail. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 40, 40 verse 15, listen to what it says. It says, I have done, Joseph said, I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Notice. I've done nothing 
that they should put me into the dungeon. That's normally where he would have gone. And his use of the word dungeon doesn't necessarily mean that he and the other prisoners, the king's butler and baker, were in a terribly miserable place. They were confined in the jail. All right, they were confined in the jail for the king's prisoners. Look at verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison on a a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. And that place was called the house of the captain of the guard. Look at chapter 40, verse 3 now. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. It definitely wasn't a dungeon. It, was, it could have been like house arrest. Again, so this shows that Potiphar believed Joseph was innocent of the charges that his wife made against him. Now, you might say, well, if that's true, why did Potiphar let this innocent man go to jail and experience some punishment even though uh, you know, he didn't do anything? Even though it wasn't as severe as it would have been for somebody else charged with the same crime, why did he allow it to happen? Because Potiphar lacked character. He was like Herod, who beheaded John the Baptist. He was like Pilate who crucified Jesus. He was a compromiser. Now, we've looked at the things that that Joseph lost. Let's look at the injustice done to Joseph now. The lopsided view of life will always see the suffering as permanent loss. And this lopsided view is a very poor view. Yes, Joseph suffered a lot because of injustice. But to have the right perspective of his experience, you have to also think about the great blessings that came to him as a result of his mistreatment. And, and always remember, God doesn't do things randomly or you know, capriciously where he, he just, hey, you know, whatever. God always has a plan. As Paul said, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When you think about Joseph's blessings, then you'll see that his unfair treatment was, it it wasn't a victory for the devil. And it wasn't a loss for God. Instead, Joseph's problems proved to be a launching pad to higher service and greater blessings. Thomas Kirk said, If we take the inner man and the future world into our consideration, the very things which seem to blur and ruin the picture will be seen to heighten its beauty and truth. The adversity which befalls the godly is always with a view to a higher prosperity. The psalmist said in Psalm 76.10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. And this is exactly what happened in Joseph's case. Joseph's first blessing from being in prison was verse 21 look what it says it says but the Lord was with Joseph this blessing would take the sting out of the wrong that was done to him Alex McLaren said the word but in verse 21 is one of the eloquent buts of scripture what greater blessing can there be than having the presence of God with you In other words, 
rather have the presence of God in prison than not have the presence of God outside where things are wonderful. The presence of God is that special manifestation of God's presence that brings close and blessed fellowship with God and abundant kindness from God. Remember, the presence of God was always with the children of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness. It was a cloud by day uh, and a pillar of fire by by night representing the presence of God with the children of Israel day and night. Joseph's life gives such great encouragement for those who live faithfully in spite of the suffering that that faithful life might bring. God's faithful will never, God's faithful, God's faithful people, they will never be in a place where God's special presence can't follow them. And remember, there's no dungeon too deep or too dark or too dreary for God's presence to be. The Lord was with Joseph, verse 21 says, in spite of his circumstances. And a lot of times, you know, when you get into circumstances like Joseph or any other kind of difficult circumstances, the first thing, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Why did you let this happen to me? Now, Joseph did suffer great loss in prison. Job, reputation, comforts. But he didn't lose the presence of God, which is far better than anything that you could lose outside of prison. If we, want, if we want the right perspective of Joseph's injustice, we have to consider well, we have to think well of the fact of the presence of God with him though his whole, through his whole suffering experience. Joseph's second blessing was the important duties he was given. Look at verse 22 of, of chapter 39. Notice, it says, And the keeper of the prison committed jo- to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. Notice that earlier, Joseph, uh, Potiphar had, had turned over the whole household to Joseph. Now here in prison, what does it say? It says that he committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners. Who were, he was now in charge of all of those that were in prison. One of the worst things that we can do when we go through problems, when we experience difficulties, is to just sit and complain and get angry with God and to do nothing. That will only make things worse for us. We need to get up and we need to get busy. We see that in 1 Kings 19 with Elijah when he said he was done with ministry, I quit, I want to die. Twice God told him, go. (laughs) Go. Get up. Do what you've been called to do. You need to go. You need to get busy. You need to be active if you want things to get better. Joseph could be very thankful that he was given these responsibilities in prison because it gave him something constructive to do rather than sit and stew. It was because of doing his duty well in prison that he was taken out of prison and he was promoted to his high position in the Egyptian government later on, as we'll see. And remember, especially as a Christian, a duty is a duty. Whether it's in a lowly place or it's a high position, it's a duty. And if we're not faithful in the small things, how's God going to bless us and give us greater responsibilities? If we're not faithful in the humble tasks, 
that God first gives us, well, he'll never entrust us with much. Joseph showed that he would do his duties no matter what they were, no matter what circumstances that he was in. He proved that at the very beginning when he was in Jacob's house, his father's house. He proved it when he was in Potiphar's house. He proves it here in prison. That he did his duties no matter what they were and under what circumstances he was in. But in prison, there was even a new feature added to his duties. Now, in his own suffering, being in prison and the things that he lost, job, position, comforts, now he had to minister to those that he was taking care of, that he was in charge of. He also now had to comfort those others who were suffering. Here he is suffering in prison. Now he's responsible for all these other people suffering. You know, it's hard enough to deal with your own suffering without having to comfort others in their suffering. But Joseph did a good job of it. And we see it when Joseph tried to help the butler and the baker in their time of sorrow when we get into our next study. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. That we can comfort others the way God has comforted us. F.B. Meyer said, there is no anodyne. I never knew what that, I don't even know what that word was until I looked it up. Anodyne, it means soothing relief. Why didn't he just say there was no soothing relief for heart sorrow like mystery to others? Anyway. But he said, there's no anodyne, there's no soothing relief for heart sorrow like ministry to others. Because now it takes the focus off of me and my suffering. And you know, if I look at it in the right perspective, there's always somebody that's going through something worse than I am. Because too often in our suffering, it's all about me. Leave me alone. I got my own problems. And we're only concerned about our own aches and pains, our own problems, our own tribulations and afflictions. I don't have time to be interested in comforting others in their trials and their afflictions. But we need to learn that one of the best pain relievers for our own suffering, our own afflictions, is to comfort other people in their afflictions. To pray for them, to encourage them, to show them what God is doing for you and in your life. Alexander McLaren said, Grief is apt to make us selfish, but it is meant to make us tender of heart and quick of hand to help our fellows in calamity. We win comforts for our own sorrows by trying to soothe those of others. The third blessing that Joseph experienced in his injustice and suffering was the close contact that he had with two officers of the king of Egypt. The king's butler and baker had offended the king of Egypt. Look at chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So, 
Joseph is now in prison with these two officers, the king's butler and the king's baker. Now we might say, what a coincidence that, jo- that Joseph is now in jail with two of, of the king's officers, his butler and baker. We might say, what a, what, what a coincidence that, 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 that he was sent to Potiphar's house where he was treated so well. You see, it's all a part of God's plan. As a result of Joseph being in Potiphar's house and Joseph being in jail with the butler and the baker, two high officers of of, of Potiphar, Joseph would learn a a lot about the Egyptian government that would help him one day when he became second man in charge. Even though the baker and the butler weren't, you know, high positions in the government, Joseph spent long hours with them in jail. And they would be great sources of information for Joseph to learn about Egyptian government, the policies, the people, the politics of it. The do's and the don'ts, the ins and the outs. Prison for Joseph gave him a lot of help for the future. So it's no surprise that Joseph moved with such effectiveness when he came to power as the second in command of all Egypt. God had seen to it, or he had seen in Joseph. He saw to it that Joseph was well trained by providentially working on his behalf. In other words, God made sure that by his hand, he placed Joseph in these positions where he could be effective, where God could use him. Both in slavery and in slander, God's providence prevailed. When he was a slave, he prevailed. When he was slandered by Potiphar's wife, he prevailed. Because it was all a part of God's plan for him. In closing, we need to remember evil never thwarts God's plans. It never changes God's plans. It never ruins God's plans. The true and proper perspective of the injustice that Joseph went through is not to be looked at as a miserable defeat. But it's one of great blessing and great opportunity and great advantage for Joseph. Now yes, Joseph had many dark days. But they did come to an end. And when they did, the injustice that he he experienced was seen as priceless to him. Joseph was uh, viciously scandalized. And to humanize being made such a scandal seems to be such a, 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 a fatality for a good future. It looks like his future will be ruined. You know, he's been in prison, he was accused of rape and all of these things. And what future could he could he possibly look forward to? But here's the bottom line. Where faithfulness to God stays strong, your perspective can't be negative. Father, we thank you so much again for this beautiful story of Joseph, Father. Father, we thank you that you have left us these examples and that, Father, you tell the truth about life, God. You don't sugarcoat anything, God. But we have a wonderful outlook God we should have a wonderful outlook God 
that, Father, we can have victory over our trials and that, God, you will bring blessing out of brokenness, God. So, Father, help us to have the right mindset, God, and to see things through your eyes, Lord, to know that nothing is accidental. Nothing that we experience is a stroke of bad luck, as the world would say. But because of your loving and guiding hand, God, you guide us through all of our difficulties in life, God. But may we be standing upon the rock, Jesus Christ, a strong foundation, God, stable in all of our ways. Father, we thank you that we have such an awesome God, a faithful God, a loving God, and that you are always with us as your word says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end. And we thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.